Welcome to podcast 49 from Football Adania, your home of Dutch football. You're listening to us on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes or Football Nation Radio. Today, I, Michael Statham, am with Michael Bell to preview the Netherlands' upcoming Euro 2020 qualifiers against Belarus and Germany, as well as react to the Champions League quarter-final draw of Ajax against Juventus. Enjoy! Okay, Mike, uh, we should start by talking about the Belarus game. Um, it's the first one coming up for the Dutch. Um, and I think, bearing in mind that the Dutch have been playing a lot of the top sides recently, Ronald Koeman has shown that um, his Netherlands side can easily beat some of these bigger teams by playing um, more or less in the counter-attack. This game against Belarus poses a completely different challenge, doesn't it? And how how does Kuman go about this this kind of game? Does he need to change the lineup, or does he keep it the same and just keep faith that his players have the quality to break Belarus down? For me, I think he'll stick with the same formation he's been playing recently. I don't think he'll revert to a back five. I think he'll go four three three. Um, you know, sometimes against the bigger sides, some of his wingers like Babo will drop a bit deeper. But I think in this one, we'll see a straight up four three three. Um, and they'll attack from the start and they'll try and put Belarus under pressure with you know pace up front I think he'll go with you know Memphis and I hope he'll start with Bergvine because he's in great form at the moment and he's a, a great dribbler of the ball which is what we'll need against a, a tight Belarus defence um, you know we played Belarus twice recently through the World Cup qualifiers and beat them home and away so I mean it's a fixture the Netherlands really should be winning and uh I think going into the Germany game, you'll be looking for for some confidence, and hopefully, for me, the big thing is that Memphis starts and does well because he's the one that's got the big question mark around him. He's uh, not having a great time in France at the moment, so if he can yes. if he can start and get some goals, then that's uh, going to be very important. True, Memphis is probably going to be relied upon yet again in the striker's role for the Netherlands, which I personally really love. I think he's um, the right man for the job. But it's who plays around him, isn't it? And you mentioned Berkvine there. He had a frustrating afternoon, um, well, today, as we're recording, um, a 1-0 win for PSV away at VVV. But Berkvine was, was largely crowded out of the game and he could have a very little, very um, small impact on PSV's uh, win today. You know, who are these players that are going to be playing around Memphis and players that have that quality and that edge to, to break down these kinds of defences? Who else is going to be supporting Memphis on the wings and fullback roles? Because they're the, probably the positions that have been changing the most recently for the Netherlands. What you're going to see is he'll probably start with Babel. Um, if he's going to go with the same, you know, he's spoken the build up to announcing the squad that he wants to pick. You know, the same players that he's been working with so far, and he doesn't want to change much about it. So you got to think that maybe Babel is going to start again. He's been playing well recently. Um, you know, he struck up a, a nice partnership with, with Memphis you know, during the recent fixtures and I think he'll start again. So you've got somebody like that who's who can score goals if the delivery's right into the box. So I think you're going to look at Daly Blind and Denzel Dumfries on the wings. They're going to have to get forward support and put the crosses into the box. And they're going to have to look to overload Belarus on the wings to try and get the, the service into the middle. And players like even... Jenny Wijnaldum, he's going to have to play a bit further forward than he does for Liverpool and you're going to have to look for somebody like that to get space in the, the edge of the box to try and finish off a chance and 
know, get an early goal and ease the pressure and then really look to, to add two or three goals and get a very confident win. So you said there about your full-back roles, you wouldn't have um, Van Aanholt instead at left-back, you'd pick David Lint? I'd like to see Van Aanholt, but I, just, I don't see Cumin dropping Blind. I just think that you want to pick probably the same 11 that you'll go with against Germany, just to get them playing together and get them in the right right frame of mind. And I think you'll go with Daley Blind on the left. Um, you know, you've got to think that with Van Aanholt's pace, he's got to be a probably a better suit against a, a lower nation, but in preparation for Germany, I'd rather see the same side and one that's going to hopefully go forward and um, throughout this competition so I think Blind will be the one that starts. Personally I think I'd actually like to see a few changes between the Belarus and Germany lineups because Germany yeah it's going to require a bit more of a conservative approach you're probably going to um, have Martin Dodon in midfield a more defensive minded midfielder for the Germany match and I'm not really sure that he's necessary for Belarus I'd actually go for a midfield of um, Frank de Jong um, Vijnaldum and um, Donny van der Beek because he's been in good form for Ajax uh, of, of late you know would you keep the exact same midfield trio for Belarus and Germany you wouldn't even change that I think for me I think if Darun doesn't start it'll be David Proper I think he's come back into the squad he was the one that was starting before he got injured and he missed out the last few games um, and Darun took his chance I think if Kimmin is going to change it up and drop Darun, he's got to pick David Proper in there. He's quite a similar, um, sort of more attacking player than uh, Darun, but his technical ability around the box is probably a little bit better than Darun at the moment. Um, I just don't think that he'll go with Donny van der Beek. I'd like to see van der Beek um, get his chance, but I just think coming the first game of the Euro 2020, he'll want to start with a victory. You won't want to change too much. I think I'll go with the players that he's been using so far. Let's talk a little bit more about the opposition then. So Belarus are up first on the Thursday and Germany come up in, coming up on the Sunday. I think we know plenty enough about Germany at the moment and their struggles and um, how far they've fallen, I guess, since they won the World Cup. Um, but who will the threats be when the Netherlands play a Belarus? <laughs> I'm going to have to look up Belarus. <laughs> You know what, I, I just had to Google them myself. <laughs> well, um, Mike, you're struggling, so... <laughs> a quick Google of Belarus reveals that um, there, there is quite a lot of experience in the squad, a lot of players over the age of 30. Um, and I guess, really, it's just going to be a battle of attrition for the Netherlands because Belarus will probably just try and defend this match. I don't, I don't really see them trying to cause any problems in the counter-attack. There's no... I mean, looking at the squad here, there's very few players that are even under the age of 21 in the squad. In fact, there weren't even any in the last um, round of call-ups. So I, I'm not really sure that... It should be a walkover for the Dutch, so we'll just have to see what happens. Um, but I guess for Germany, is it just going to be trying to play the same way as they did before against them? Yeah, I mean, when you look at Belarus, they're actually going into the game on a six-game unbeaten run. But that was in the, the Nations League and they were playing teams like Luxembourg, Moldova and San Marino. So you'd expect Netherlands to win quite comfortably. But against Germany, it's going to be interesting because it seems to be a parallel from you know, what Netherlands were before the Nations League to what they are now. They're now going into this game with many people who see them as the favourites against Germany and Germany decide that 
you know, he's got a bit of a crisis around him. You know, the manager's under pressure. He's recently dropped, you know, three of the big name players from Bayern Munich to Thomas Miller, Boateng, um, both being dropped and not in the squad. So I mean, they're they've got all the pressure on them at the moment to to show up and, and get a result. There's some few fresh faces in the squad, and I think uh, they're going to be very motivated to show that German football isn't you know dead at the moment because. You know, Bayern Munich going out to the Champions League, there's no side in the the last day of that. And they're not going to want to, after finishing bottom of the Nations League group, they're going to want to start Euro 2020 qualifying with a victory. And I think if Holland beat them comfortably, I think they're going to end up sacking Yogi Lo. Um So you know, I think everyone's actually going to this game with the pressure and all the focus not on them which I think will work out well. I think if they can play the game that they did last time, get Frankie de Jong on the ball, play on the, the counter through the pace of the likes of Memphis and, and Bergwijn, then I don't see why Netherlands can't beat this Germany side again. True, although I think this will probably be the most difficult um, match between the Netherlands and Germany because because the Dutch have done so well in the last two matches against them. The pressure's on to do it again. Um, I think that's what makes it even more difficult. And as you say, they might well be revitalised and refreshed and wanting to go again. But I also agree that if um, the Netherlands beat Germany, it could well be the end of um, Joachim Löw. Um, we always get plenty of questions on um, the Football Only podcast. So thank you very much again for sending those in. Uh, Abdul, we've already answered your question now about the lineup. Um, but let's go into Fish Reiner's question here. How many points do you think the Netherlands will get in these two qualifiers? So, Mike, what's your prediction for the, both of these home games? I think, you know, the aim is obviously going to be six points. I think Belarus, that's three. And then, you know, Ronald Koeman will be hoping that his side can beat Germany again. They've done it recently and they drew in Germany. So there's no reason why they can't. But I think starting without losing these two games is vitally important. So even four points would be good for me. Um, I hope six, but, you know, four is all right. Then you go into the games... You know, the Estonia ones and the Northern Ireland are the ones that the Netherlands need to win because the top two go to the tournament. So four points, start well, is, is key. Six points would be great. Yeah, agreed. I think four points isn't going to be the end of the world and it does set up the Dutch really well for the rest of the qualifiers. And, um, you know, finishing top two in this group it is still a great achievement and it will get them there. Um, so let's move on and... The next big topic, the next big talking point. Ajax got through to the quarterfinals of the Champions League and have been drawn against Italian giants Juventus. The home leg's first, the away leg is after that, and it's coming up in April. Um, let's kick this one off with a question, Mike. Um, so, Abdul asked this. Ajax have actually got a very poor history against Juventus, and the last win for the Dutch side was in the 70s. Can Ajax make it this time? For me, I don't think we should rule it out. I've seen a lot of people basically saying that, yeah, this is the draw that Juventus would have wanted and it's got to be a walkover for them. And, you know, Ajax, Ronaldo has such a great record against Ajax. He's got to get rested for the games. You know, this is the tournament that Juventus want to win. Ajax don't really stand a chance. They're going to be tough. But, you know, everyone was saying that going into the Real Madrid game as well, that Ajax were going to get hammered by Real Madrid. It was going to be easy for them. And look what happened. So I think that ruling out an Ajax... At least the Ajax victory at home is is doing a great injustice against them and how they've done so far in the tournament. I think we should be more confident that Ajax can do something. You know, this Juventus side isn't 
you know, isn't unbeatable. I mean, Genoa beat them today without, you know, and Ronaldo didn't start, but they've suffered their first loss in the league this season. I think that they showed against Atletico in the first leg that you can create chances against them, you can score goals. Then it's all just about really trying to keep Cristiano Ronaldo quiet from crosses, and I think, you know, Delict has already come up against them before and kept a clean sheet when Netherlands beat Portugal 3 0. And if he can keep Ronaldo quiet, he can he can really hurt this Juventus side. So I think Ajax do have a chance. I don't think it's so dim and gloom that some people are saying that you know Ajax have no chance at all, which I just don't see. I agree with all those points you said there, Mike. Really good points about um, De Ligt versus Ronaldo and how poorly Juventus played in that first leg against Atletico because they were 2-0 down after the first leg and they were quite dreadful actually and as you said they got beaten by Genoa as well in, in Serie A they're beatable so so were Real Madrid and I remember at the time when the draw happened for Ajax against Real Madrid we were quite confident about it and then Real Madrid picked up some good form we were all of a sudden started to feel less confident it's just going to be ups and downs until that point until that match but it all comes down to if Ajax can replicate the way they played against Real Madrid and even in that home leg when they lost 2-1 they were unfortunate to lose 2-1 and they should have won that match quite comfortably but both of those legs they outplayed the Spanish team and there's no reason why Ajax can't do that again against Juventus the Juventus have always prided themselves upon having a really strong defence but I, I think all the movement of Ajax is going to cause them a lot of problems again it really suits them to be underdogs and if they can keep that mentality again they're going to definitely cause them problems um, let's just hope that Hakim Ziyech is going to be fit for that match in today's 1-0 um, defeat to RZ he went off injured um, but again yeah you've seen that match how even Ajax can go through poor spells himself and are hardly um, insurmountable themselves a 1-0 defeat to RZ but they did create loads of chances, but they also let out, let let slip too many chances themselves, and they could have been two or three nil down against RZ at one point. Um, doesn't that form? I, I guess it doesn't have. We're not we're not Ajax fans. It shouldn't worry us personally, but um, does it worry you going into that Champions League match that Ajax are sort of letting slip some of their um, how how strong they were in the league? You know, you think that they only just beat Pex Waller two one. Um, they they had that one little defeat against RZ. Is is their form starting to worry you a little bit heading into that Champions League match, knowing how big it is for Dutch football? No, not really. Um, really, because if you look at what happened before the Real Madrid games, you know the thing is the draw or loss at Heracles. Um, and everyone was rolling them out then, saying that you know they're terrible in the league. That's just what happens with the Sajak side. They they have these little defeats and draws in the league, but if they pick themselves up for these big Champions League nights. This is where their main focus is for some of the players. I mean, you know, after the first leg loss against Real Madrid and everyone was praising them, you know, the, the players are coming out and saying, yeah, we, we focus more on these games and we do the, the Eredivisie games for some reason and they couldn't really put their, their finger on it. But I think that these players want to play for big big clubs. They're all looking for, for moves in the summer. The likes of Ziyech, the likes of Delict, Tagliafico. These players want to rise to the occasion and when it comes down to these European nights, the crowd gets right behind them and uh, Johan Cruyff Arena is going to be bouncing that night and that's going to pick the players up and they're going to 
perform to their best and I, I don't really think that the league form right now is a big worry because it's totally different a Champions League night mm, that is true I uh, so always pick themselves up for these really big European nights and they've done it against Bayern they've done it against Real let's see if they can do it again um, just to clarify for those listeners who are wondering about the future of Dutch football um, there's been quite a bit on our website but just to clarify the situation um, at the moment if a Dutch want to be the 11th best league in Europe in the coefficient. Um, they have to get at least a draw. They can also win against Juventus over the two legs. That will give them enough coefficient points to be above Austria uh, um, because of Red Bull Salzburg's good form in the Europa League, but they are now out of the competition. A draw or win would put them back above Austria to be 11th placed league in Europe, therefore guaranteeing um, Champions League football for both first and second placed. Um, Eredivisie team straight into the group stage which is something that used to be the case but we recently lost this season so the season after um, in 2020 there will be again two automatic places for the Champions League um, just how important is that for Dutch football though because we, we do make a big deal about this whole coefficient but what difference does that make for Dutch sides? It makes a huge difference when you think that over the recent years we've seen Ajax and PSV and you know, Feyenoord Go out of Europe in, against really poor teams, and you don't want to risk that with the qualifiers and you know, start of the season. Anything can really happen if, say, Ajax PSV lost to other players in the summer to try to gel a new team, they come up against the side in the qualifiers and get knocked out. You know, that's that's really bad for Dutch football. Whereas, you know, a place straight in the group stages not only brings guaranteed revenue for a club that can help bridge the gap to those other big sides, but it just brings the it means that, you know, I actually PSV are definitely going to be guaranteed at least six matches in the, the Champions League. And that's that's huge. I mean, you've only seen what can happen this season. If two get there, you know, Ajax can get to the, the knockout stages. They can beat, you know, these middle sides like um, AK Athens. They can match sides like Benfica and, you know, they can give problems to the big sides. And if PSV and Ajax keep getting there, keep getting to the group stages, it'll attract better players to their division, grow the league. You know, the money will go to other clubs because it not only helps with the Champions League, but Europa League as well. So the clubs will go straight into Europa League. So the better these clubs get, the further they get in Europe, the more chance that Netherlands, you know, they're 11th place right now, that's what they're aiming for, if they can get it back from Austria. But there's no reason why they can't go to... 10th, 9th in challenging leagues like Turkey and, and Portugal because that's when everyone should be. Ajax and PSV are as good as the Benficas and Portos and that's what they should be aiming for. Agreed and in addition to that there was something new agreed with amongst the Dutch teams this season to, to allow the, the revenue that Ajax PSV final received from Europe um, is then shared out, only a small amount but it's shared out amongst the lower teams in the Eredivisie. So it's not only it wouldn't it wouldn't sorry um, make the gap bigger between the top and the bottom of the Dutch league. It actually allows the whole league to grow, the whole league to have extra money for wages to compete with teams from abroad for the the the, the transfers of of decent players. Um, so it's massive, and I guess on that related to that is the futures of some of the best players that play in the Netherlands that are young but also need to move on to develop their careers. One of those players is going to be Matthijs De Ligt. He is a world-class um, player already, I, I would argue. Um, we had a question for Martin. 
and he wants to know if there's any chance that Delict can stay another year at Ajax. No, um, I think you see all the reports around Europe at the moment. You know, Juventus want to charm him, and Barcelona are apparently ready to offer seventy million. And you know, but you're still buying Munich in there. There's another couple of clubs that are in there, like PSG. I think there's just too much interest at the moment. I think a club will bid around seventy million in the summer, and he'll go. I just can't see how Ajax can one convince him that he can stay because he's already reached the knockout stages of the Champions League. If they do get put out in the quarterfinals, that's probably where you'd expect Ajax to go out. That's probably the most he's going to achieve at this club. Yeah, if you don't win the title, you'll go out with maybe not winning their division will annoy him. But to become a better player, he's got to play against the best strikers week in, week out. I think a move this summer is you know, a no-brainer for him, I think, because it's great for the Netherlands as well, because right now, Virgil van Dijk, you see how he's improved since he's went to Liverpool. He's probably now the best centre-back in the world. And De Ligt, you know, he's not too far behind, so if he goes to a, a major club in the summer, he could, he could, you know, take that mantle off of van Dijk, and it, it's great for the Dutch national team's future, because we probably have the best centre-back partnership in the world. Yeah. Um, it sounds a bit dramatic, but that is definitely the case. Van Dijk's been immense for Liverpool this season, and De Ligt is just developing game after game. Um, when you play, watch him play in the Champions League, he's just one of those talents that you know that this guy's going to be one of the absolute names for the next 15 years um, within football. Um, that doesn't mean that all of the Ajax players are going to leave this summer, though. There's quite a few that will probably stay. Um, Jason Tadic this week um, said that he's going to be um, he's going to be tying himself down to Ajax. Um, he's got a good contract already. He doesn't need to leave. He's happy where he's playing. He's happy scoring the goals. Given the assists that he's doing, he's happy playing in the Champions League. So why leave? That's a good message as well for more senior players come back to the Netherlands and play for some of the top sides and develop themselves again and win trophies, which is great to see. So well done, Jason Tadic, for advertising that, I guess. Before we finish, um, we should talk a little bit about the Dutch Eredivisie. Um, a huge result then, as we have already discussed. Um, for the title race, PSV beat VVV today, 1-0. Ajax lost 1-0 to RZ, um, so they're now five points adrift from the title challengers. So yeah, um, what do you make of all this, Mike? And is it a big nail in the coffin of Ajax's title hopes? Yeah, for me, I thought going into today, it was going to be a massive you know, day for the title race you had. Both sides going into away fixtures that looked, you know, tricky on paper, and then, you know, all, all throughout the PSV game, they were really poor. You know, VVV had chances they could have snatched it, and then five minutes to go, Lozano pops up with a winner, big, big relief for PSV, who haven't really been playing that great in recent weeks. You know, we've seen them draw three times, you know, against Herenveen and, and Feyenoord a couple of weeks ago, and they were dropping points, and you know, they should have been way out in front but they've let Ajax get back into it and you know they went Ajax went to AZ who have a history of not being able to perform against the top three their last win against any of them came back in 2016 against Feyenoord it looked like you know Ajax who knew if they went one today they could go to the top if they beat PSV in two weeks he thought you know, Ajax would be well up for this game they'd take the game to AZ they'd have Ziyech and Frankie de Jong back in the lineup. And it, you know, all arrows are pointing towards an Ajax win, but AZ were excellent. You know, Calvin Stengs and Idrissi just caused them problems throughout. 
it easily could have been three or four nil. It was only one nil in the end, and for me, yeah, in two weeks' time, Ajax could, could probably beat PSV, and they probably should beat PSV, but then that's not going to be enough. You're going to have to look at them dropping more points throughout the end of the season, and then, you know, are, are this Ajax side going to be that focused on their division? They're, they're not going to drop maybe another one or two results before the end of the season. I doubt it, so... Yeah, this is a huge day for PSV and that makes them even bigger favourites at the moment. I think that five-point gap, um, even if it comes a two-point gap in two weeks, I think it's going to be too much as see PSV now as the, the big favourites. Yep, um, I think PSV are the, are the big favourites as well. But Ajax are at home against PSV in that match that's coming up after the international break. If they win, it's only two points again and who knows after that, it's all twists and turns, isn't it? And I think after the first half of the season where we saw both Ajax and PSV being imperious in their form and winning all their games to now actually dropping points and having much closer games, it's good to see and it's it, it safe in knowledge that there'll probably be a lot more going on in this title race. A lot more is to happen yet. Um, but I think, yeah, it's vital that Ajax get that win against PSV. If they lose, it's eight points and that's too big. Um, I think we'll finish on a question from Jordan, and he wants to know how good Adrian Dalmau is at Heracles Almelo. Um, he scored eight goals in his last four games. It's on, it's on really rude form at the moment. And he wants to know if any of the big three in the Eredivisie would take a chance on him. Um, personally, I, I don't think so. I think you're looking at a sort of France soul type of thing where he re a Spanish striker yet again who um, developed himself well with Willem Tway. He did eventually leave. He left in January, but he at the time he only had one season and thought well I'm going to carry on and develop myself further in the Netherlands and he did so he scored more goals and then he felt he was ready to move on but do you think um, Mike do you think the same and do you think Dalmau's got the quality to play in a bigger team I think you're exactly right with the the France all comparisons I think he'll be a player that gets linked to the top three maybe but then I don't think he'll eventually he's not an Ajax or a PSV player for me. I mean, the only one you'd look at maybe is Feyenoord if they want them, or maybe, you know, AZ. You'd probably say that their weakest point is the fact that they've not really got a striker. So if he keeps scoring goals, he could go to a side like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, it's just another club in there, Divisi, that has you know, a great scouting network. They picked him up. Um, I'd never heard of him before he went to, to Heracles, and it's just a great signing for them and one that. You know, when they do sell them, we'll make them some money, which is what they want, what these clubs want. They want to bring in these players for, you know, little to no money and then, you know, develop them into a player that will bring in two to three million. And that's exactly what Villantoy did with Fransol and that's what Heracles will do with Dalmau. Um, you know, it's great for clubs like that who don't make too much money from, you know, revenue or they don't really develop many young talents into players such as like an AZ or you know, Feyenoord so he's got to bring in a lot of money for them I think Just to finish um, the podcast how wrong have we been about um, Hiddicles because the start of the season didn't you say the same as me Mike and they'd actually be in, in relegation trouble and look where they are the top seven um, another win they could be in fourth fifth place so just just how, how much have they sort of developed really Yeah I mean they've had a, a great season I think um they started really well, but we all expected them to drop off. They have a little. But for me, it's just a case of, you know, the Eredivisie this season is, is wide open for those 
European playoff spots, there's like four or five teams that can really get one of those spots, especially if you know Ajax wins the cup and it opens up an extra extra place in there. Um, you're looking at clubs like Ronin and, and Herenveen who can still make it in there. So it's going to be a good battle between now and the end of the season who gets that in, into the top eight and gets a, a playoff spot because I think it's going to be wide open for that last European spot. I think Feyenoord and AZ will battle for third and fourth and then you know it's going to be between the Vitessas, the Utrecht, you know, possibly a Heracles and Herenveen or Groningen for that last spot. And uh, yeah, it's good to see because it gives a... It's a tight relegation battle, it's a tight battle for the European spots, it's a tight title race as well. So, I mean, there's so much to play for before now and the end of the season. Very true indeed. And just a little fact for us to finish on this week. Um, Hen and Vane have been involved in 15% of the entire of the Dutch Eredivisie's goals this season, um, which is just an a, a outstanding stat for maybe all the right and wrong reasons. A very entertaining team to watch, but they do concede a lot of goals. Um, Mike, thanks for joining me on this podcast and our next one will be the Big 50 um, well, we've just done really well to get there, haven't we I just want to thank everyone really for listening, subscribing and I guess enjoying our content There is Klaassen, goal!